Libby, I have a very important question to ask you. Ask me anything, Joe. What do you want for Christmas more than anything in the world? More than anything? More than anything. Either a PlayStation 2 so that I could play the copy of Lunar Silver Star Story that my friend Heather got me. Or honestly, the Fontanelle 7-inch. What about you? (laughs) Oh, I just want to be able to go to the movies again, man. Yeah. Who would have thought we would have missed movie theater butter popcorn? Not me. Please, I'll give you any amount of money for some junior mitts. $10, $100, just take it. My kingdom for an icy, please. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep. You know, feet Uh, sticking to the floor. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's what it's all about. Oh, now I'm really sad. (laughs) Let's let's start the show. And welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a holly jolly good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, once again, I am sorry. That's okay. I feel like we're going to have to change the uh, the top of this podcast because it's no longer all your favorite movie soundtracks it's the movie soundtracks that you once endured all of your least favorite uh, movie soundtracks movie soundtracks you didn't know existed and other random 90s bullshit yeah little niche obsessions of your hosts this is a show for us to 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 be self-indulgent for an hour and a half every every two weeks and we thank you for indulging us Mm -hmm. if you're listening you're on the same wavelength as us and we appreciate it and we love you yes how are you i'm good how are you I am surviving. Yeah, we're making it. Yeesh. Uh, happy holidays, everybody. It's December. Yes, it's it's December 5th, Krampus night, as we're recording this. Yes. So hopefully neither of us gets taken away by Krampus, although I think, at least with me, it's a distinct possibility. I mean, a- after uh, after the movie I made you watch tonight, I certainly deserve it. <laughs> so, like, I, I make no bones about the fact that, like, I inflicted this upon the both of us. Yeah. Uh, this week this week folks for about for uh christmas 2020 we are discussing uh the soundtrack to jingle all the way from 1996 uh because i found out it had a soundtrack and it has a very notable soundtrack because it is full of uh songs from the brian setzer orchestra yes brian setzer orchestra america's michael buble (laughs) from that thin sliver of time between the mask and the Dirty Boogie, when America didn't know it wanted Brian Setzer at all. Yes, when we saw Gap khakis and we thought, huh, eh, I have no reason to wear those. I'm not going out dancing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> those uh, are for middle managers. So uh, we don't have any uh, polls to discuss from last week because, you know, last time we talked about uh, TV theme songs and... Oh, people seem to have fun with that one. They liked some of the choices we made. Yeah, I was very excited to see some love for Roundhouse. Also, we talked about not being able to find a lot of Roundhouse on YouTube. However, there were a surprising number of uh, GIFs or GIFs, however you want to pronounce it, uh, on Twitter that you could choose from. Yeah. So at least Twitter is keeping the Roundhouse fire burning. Yeah, like the Nickelodeon b-boy dancing is, is easy to find if you can get to Twitter. But otherwise... 
Brown House is just gone. It's like yeah. it's like lost media at this point. Yeah, it's a shame. Indeed, it is. Uh, but uh, yeah. So without it, without wasting any time talking about uh, polls, we have to talk about Jingle all the way now. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid we do. So um, if you're not familiar, what rock have you been living under? Jingle All the Way is the Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas movie, which is pretty much all I have to say about it. Also, it has Sinbad in it. There is also Sinbad. There is also Phil Hartman. And also a very little Jake Lloyd. Baby Darth Vader in his, in one of his very first movies before yes. he was baby Darth Vader. Yeah, um, like baby Yoda, only less cute. Yeah. So, okay, let's just jump straight into it. Jingle All the Way from 1996. It's a Christmas movie that like, people seem to remember fondly but i can't really? i guess like like i have family members who love this movie really yeah i thought ian was gonna divorce me after i made him watch it i understand yeah i do too nikki and i were watching it and at about the 45 minute mark she just looked at me and said can i go now <laughs> yikes and yeah that was rough but uh so let's let's talk about the billboarding school for jingle all the way uh, which actually is a misnomer because the soundtrack was released November 26, 1996. Now here's the shocker. This soundtrack never charted on the Billboard 200. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I even like jumped ahead a year or two just to see if like the album charted a year or two later because, you know, Christmas albums tend to do that. They're, mm-hmm. they're, per, they're you know, perennial and they, they're constant moneymakers that way. Like Christmas always comes back around and people start going back to like the Home Alone soundtrack or the Polar Express soundtrack or whatever the hell they listen to now. But not this one. And that surprises me. Um, So instead, what I want to do is I want to tell you a little bit about what did chart Thanksgiving weekend 1996. This is me forestalling having to actually talk about Jingle All the Way. (laughs) Let's talk. Let's hear it. Number one album in America that week was Snoop Dogg's The Dog Father. Okay. All right, fair enough. Okay. The top soundtrack that week, number six, was Madonna's uh, Evita soundtrack. Yeesh. Yeah, it was a, the odd, like, mid-90s era for Madonna. Now, other soundtracks on the charts. These are the soundtracks that charted when Jingle All the Way did not. Are you ready? I'm ready. The number eight album in America was the soundtrack to Set It Off. I do not know what that is. I do not either. Number 13 was the debut of Space Jam. Okay, okay. <laughs> Pause for crickets. Number 15 was Romeo and Juliet. Fair. I got in a discussion with somebody about that movie because I never saw it. And it made my friend angrier than I have ever heard him. Oh, no. I could just like hear the rage in his voice about like how much he hates that movie. <laughs> Did I tell you about the weird dream I had about that movie? Yes. Please share it with, with the audience because this is an amazing dream. I don't know what yeah, I don't, you were on, but... I don't even know. Yeah, I have no clue where this came from. I dreamed that, like, I was an assassin in the world of Romeo and Juliet. And I was hired by a team of lawyers to kill Mercutio because Mercutio refused to let himself get killed. And by doing so, the entire rest of the events of the film or the play or film or whatever could not transpire. So if Mercutio doesn't die, Romeo doesn't pretend to kill himself, Juliet doesn't kill herself by accident, and Romeo doesn't kill himself uh, at the end. So they hired me to kill Mercutio. 
Now, the kicker, I've never actually seen this film. <laughs> what was even on that soundtrack? I um Is it the Cardigans Love Fool? I think that's the only one I know of, yeah. Okay. Which is a great song. But... And I only know that because they make fun of it in Hot Fuzz. Okay. So, beats me. But yeah, Romeo and Juliet is like a, a constant fascination to us, even though uh, you apparently hate it and I've never seen it. I think I saw it and I was just like, I don't get this. Um, but I've never understood Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, whatever. I've never understood him. Anywho, uh, so running down the list of, of soundtracks, The Mirror Has Two Faces. Ooh, ooh, that one's got Barbara Streisand and Brian Adams. That's bad. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's number 16. Ooh. That's right behind Romeo and Juliet. Ooh. Jumping way down, we got That Thing You Do at number 55. Oh, only number 55? What's wrong with you people? I think it was like on its way down at that point. So it might have been higher. I don't know. Mm. Uh, 71, Beavis and Butthead do America. Again, should have been higher. Uh-huh. 110, I don't, one of you out there is going to remember this film, High School High. I believe John Lovitz was John in that. John Lovitz, yeah. I could picture the cover. Yeah, that's all anyone's ever seen of that film. Yes, okay. Uh, 149, Phenomenon with... Ooh, Eric Clapton, Change the World was the top single from that. Pretty good song, pretty yeah. good song. 158, our favorite, The Crow City of Angels. All right. <laughs> no comment. And 195, <laughs> the one that's interesting to me, Braveheart. Now, at this point in the charts... Yeah. The Braveheart soundtrack had been on the charts for 50 weeks. A soundtrack album of James Horner playing bagpipes for an hour lasted an entire year on the charts. But Brian sets her rockabilly and jingle bells. No, nobody cared. No one bought it. Yikes. I don't okay. understand America. Everybody. Yeah, no, this is that you'd rather have Brian Adams than uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers doing Love Roller Coaster. Yeah, really? Yeah. So you'd rather have Eric Clapton. I, 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 would, I would honestly rather have an entire album of that thing you do over and over again. Oh, yeah, because that song rules so hard. Yeah, of course. And we love Adam Schlesinger on this podcast. Yes, we're big fans. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just odd to me that all of those charted, but Jingle All the Way, no. It couldn't crack that, that Christmas cocktail party. It didn't. And yeah. I even like went all the way forward into February of the next year. Never, never showed up. Hmm. You guys did Darlene Love wrong. And but, which is odd, though, because this movie made money. Uh, it made one hundred and thirty million dollars on a seventy five billion dollar budget. I saw it in theaters. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Uh, there was a theater up the street for me that was three seventy five to get in. So I saw everything. Uh, that's fair. But yeah, like this movie came out at a time and then came out on like video and TV at a time when the uh, the Christmas story marathons were all the rage and other channels picked up other movies to do marathons of. I distinctly recall this being one of them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I saw it. I know I saw bits and pieces over the course of a full day, some Christmas. <laughs> so the broad stroke of uh, Jingle All the Way, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a uh, a mattress salesman whose son wants an action figure called Turbo Man for Christmas. And Turbo Man is like the hot toy item that every kid has to have that Christmas. And of course, it's Christmas Eve. He still hasn't gotten the toy. He runs all over town, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as it, as it turns out, trying to find a Turbo Man. Yes, he is thwarted by uh, Sinbad, who plays a mailman, 
mm -hmm. uh, who also needs this toy. And the two of them fight to find the last Turbo Man in all of Minneapolis. Yes. It's very episodic and very goofy. And very slapstick. It's very, We're still yeah. in that, that Home Alone slapstick era. Oh, yeah, comedy. this is very much trying to, like, chase Home Alone. Uh, I mean, it's a Chris Columbus sort of production, so obviously they they knew they were trying to get that audience. Mm -hmm. but, then, but then also, so they, it's he just, Arnold Schwarzenegger just bounces from, like, comic set piece to comic set piece, and in between each one is a different classic Christmas song kind of snuck in there to punctuate each scene. Mm -hmm. And the first of these uh, is not actually on the album, but it's a pretty good song. It's Darlene Love singing Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Yes, and there's a wild, well, you know, let's start with a clip. Mm -hmm. Why not? Rockin' around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Mistletoe hung where you can see every couple tries to stop. Rockin' around the Christmas tree, let the Christmas spirit ring. And there's a, a wild, raucous uh, sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen, kind of Christmas party going on. But Arnold is not there because he's busy making sales. Yes. Up in his office. And he's, bu he's busy working when he should be at his son Jamie's uh, karate uh, ceremony. And this is what makes kids end up joining Cobra Kai. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, this is exactly it. So it should be noted here that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger gives about as good a performance as Tommy Wiseau does in the room, right down to him saying, you're my favorite customer. Oh my God, he does. You're right. <laughs> he even says it to his wife. Yes. So played by the long suffering Rita Wilson. Yes. But uh, yeah, just very briefly, Darlene Love can do like anything, but there's nothing about this song that makes it any different than the Brenda Lee version. Yeah. So it's, you know, you're you're not going to be offended when it comes on at TJ Maxx, but you're not going to be like, oh, this is a really stellar version either. No. And I mean, this version, you know, it, it was on the, um, the second edition of the Very Special Christmas compilation for the Special Olympics. It's got Ronnie Spector singing with her, and it's, it's kind of nice. I actually, I like it, but it's yeah. it, not not that much better than the original to be perfectly yeah. frank yeah it's for department stores yeah it's so. it's the christmas music that you listen to on hold yeah so um which is is too bad i feel like we're doing darling and love dirty but well she'll she'll get her due later in the soundtrack. she will she will uh, but, yeah, uh this one's not on the album but it's it's all right it's fine yeah it's noted um was that the only one that was getting jurassic park vibes from the score but no, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, like when he's rushing to try to get to uh, his kid's karate lesson. Jamie is the son played by a very baby-faced Jake Lloyd. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, you know, you really were expecting dinosaurs to, to pop out. Yeah, and I, I think it's just sort of the mid-90s-ness of it all. Like everything yeah. kind of had to have that Spielberg sound to it. Yeah, it's there's definitely. I mean, like here, just uh, just play a clip of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
really like sort of too adventurous for Arnold Schwarzenegger, like trying to drive down a crowded highway. Right. Yeah. It's, it's bombastic for no reason, at least early on. And then when the really fantastical dumb stuff starts to happen, it like starts to mesh together. Yeah. Not that any of it meshes together. No, it doesn't. But the, yeah. Soundtrack, the, the score is fine. Yes. <laughs> now, the, the neighbor, he does show up at, uh, at his karate lesson. And that neighbor is Ted, played by the late, so great, Bill Harpin. Yeah. And it, it kind of breaks my heart that um, I feel bad about that. Wow. It kind of breaks my heart that Phil Hartman's like one of his last roles was like playing this really sleazy, creepy, like single dad. Yeah. But he's so good at it. He's, oh, he's amazing. He's the delight of this film. You don't even care that he's like a little bit rapey. You're, he's so great. You just choose every, every piece of scenery <laughs> so effortlessly. You can tell, like, Arnold's, like, giving it his all, and Phil Hartman's just like, hey, I'm just having fun of Phil Hartman. Yeah. <laughs> Do whatever I want. Like, I, I imagine Phil, like, took him aside one day and said, well, you know, don't try so hard. Yeah. Just have fun. Exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. So- but all the ladies love Ted. Now, the fact you sh- you're going to know, spoiler alert, it turns out he's a creep, which mm-hmm. you should know, because if this podcast has taught you anything... It's that uh, dudes named Ted are sometimes pretty creepy. Like, look at obviously not Ted Theodore Logan. No, although no. he can bad. There's bad Ted, but there's also a Ted in Earth Girls Are Easy, played by Charles Rocket, and that guy sucks. Yeah, you're right. So we- just be wary of Ted's because they could be evil robots, or they could be cheating boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good like fortune cookie that you should write. Beware, beware, of, beware of beware of evil Ted's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's true. It's never scared me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and my question about Ted, because uh, like all the other moms in sort of their orbit are like giving him, you know, trays of cookies and, and this and that. He's he's definitely banging all the other moms in that street. He's a backdoor Santa. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. I think that's the the sort of B story. Mm-hmm. Ted's a backdoor Santa Claus. We'll talk about that song later. Uh, yeah. I, I, man, I, I kind of just want to know more about that story now. Yeah. Mr. Oh, we want to see Jingle All the Way, the Ted cut. <laughs> Jingle All the Ted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I just want this movie... Also, it was apparently written by somebody named Randy Cornfield, which is not a real name. <laughs> That's a poor name. That's a Come fake on. name. I need to know who Randy Cornfield is because that's <laughs> not a real name. A porn star wrote this movie. <laughs> that's so if if you if you have that weird, like creepy, like skin crawly feeling when you watch this movie, that's why. Yeah. Yeesh. Randy Cornfield. Randy Cornfield. Yikes. <laughs> So the next day, so yeah, Howard missed his son's karate ter- uh, ceremony. And of course, Jamie is very mad about this, but Howard tries to make it up to him by asking him like, you know, what do you want for Christmas? What's the one thing you want for Christmas? And Jamie rattles off this like a marketing pitch for a Turbo Man doll. Turbo Man's kind of a Power Rangers knockoff, it seems. Kind of, yeah. There's a lot of Power Rangers in it. And it's, 
I think this was like right around the same time that like the Tickle Me Elmo craze happened. Yeah. It's either that year or the year after or before, but like, so when he goes out to find a Turbo Man doll, it's just pandemonium, like absolute chaos wherever he goes because it's this everybody wants it and there are none to be found. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah. let's, the, the ad campaign, the ad pitch that Jamie gives him, let's just get a, a little taste of that. <laughs> I want the Turbo Man action figure with the arms and legs that move and the boomerang suitor and the rock and roar jetpack and the realistic voice activator that says five different phrases, including it's turbo time. Accessories sold separately, batteries not included. He memorized that commercial. Yeah, and Jake Lloyd is, first, Jake Lloyd is a tragedy. You know, it, it didn't end well for him. Um, but he's he's pretty good in this role. I mean, it mostly just requires that he whines. Yeah, which, I mean, he's a little kid. That's, yeah, he has to be. but he's actually pretty good at conveying that like whiny, dramatic, you know, those scenes. He's not really good when he has to be like, I love you, dad. But when he's being really petulant, like he nails it. Yeah, like the disappointed kid at Christmas kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he actually does really well. So, way to uh, go, yep. Jake Lloyd. Take your <laughs> fucking medicine. Good for you. Oh, man. Oh, so the next day, uh, Howard Howard leaves the house to find a Turbo Man doll. And at, while he's at home, uh, playing on the radio is our next song. It's a classic. You, you know it and I know it. It's Chuck Berry's Run, Rudolph, Run. Oh, let's hear a clip because everybody likes this song. Battle of all the rangers, you know you're the mastermind. Run, run, Rudolph, Randolph ain't too far behind. Run, run, Rudolph, Santa's gotta make it to town. Santa make him hurry, tell him he can take the freeway down. You kind of can't have a Christmas movie without this. It was in Home Alone. It's- it, yeah. As soon as I heard it, I thought Home Alone. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, it It was used so well in Home Alone that to sort of recycle it here seems pointless. It's like, yeah, we we had it like on this mixtape, we'll just plug it in. Yeah, almost to the point where like, why would you include it when you already, like you just uh, had Darlene Love doing a song and you decided to not put that on the soundtrack, but you're going to include Chuck Berry? Yeah. I don't understand that choice. We already, and that, I think a lot of the, like having some of these classics didn't give the soundtrack the urgency to buy it because you've already got that on a hundred thousand Christmas CDs. You know, that's really, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I mean, this, it kind of, the rest of the soundtrack, there's, there's a couple, you know, kind of fun inclusions, but a lot of it just reads like that's, now that's what I call Christmas volume 25. Yeah. And I, I think there's an, enough there's enough here to warrant, I think, a, an entire soundtrack. But I think what we're going to find is that we probably should have gotten an entirely uh, Brian Setzer soundtrack. Yeah, you know, like, don't, no, no half measures, I think, when no it comes to measures. Brian Setzer. So. Exactly. Because we, we haven't gotten to him yet, but basically what, what you're going to find on the soundtrack is the Brian Setzer Orchestra featuring some famous singer that you definitely have heard of doing a Christmas, a different Christmas song. And that should have been the whole album. Yeah. And, so. and the formula works. Like there's, I see there's one, two, 
three, four. There's four of these in the movie. All of them are at, are at least, you know, decent. Yeah. You could have done 12 songs, 12 of those. Yeah. There's no reason that Brian Setzer couldn't have covered, you know, Run, Rudolph, Run. Right. He's perfectly capable of it. And Frosty now that you say tips. that, I have to see if he did. He probably did. Yeah, of course he did. Okay. So there, that exists in the world. I mean, I don't know that. Did he, did you check? Now I did. Yeah. I, I just uh, YouTubed it up. The Brands' Orchestra. Uh, the album is called Boogie Woogie Christmas and here's Run Rudolph Run. So. Okay. When did it come out? That's uh, 2002. Oh, Brian, 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 babe. Missed your big opportunity. Talk about talking up. about half measures. Like there it is. You just didn't think about it. Yeah, you could have. I mean, you're by 2002, the Neil Swing craze was over. <laughs> Brian Setzer was very much over. Yeah. Yeah. So you had your moment in the sun, my friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that being said, let's uh, let's hop over to uh, our next song. Yeah. So uh, the first Setzer piece, I guess, if you want to call it that, is when Howard actually hits the road, gets out on the town to go look for this Turbo Man toy, and we hear uh, Sleigh Ride by the Brian Setzer Orchestra with Darlene Love singing. Let's go to a clip. I had no idea that this is actually where that song came from. Okay, so where had you heard it? I have heard this, I think, in just countless like department store Christmas commercials over the years. Oh, okay. I, I, it's just one of those songs that is synonymous with like Christmas marketing to me. And okay. it just never occurred to me that this might have actually come from a movie. Okay. Um, for starters, I'd like to go on the record as declaring Darlene Love the voice of Christmas. We had her last year in uh, our episode on Home Alone 2, where she mm-hmm. sang All Alone on Christmas. Yes. And I think she's underrated as the voice of Christmas. I 100% co-signed this. Yes. Let's get this moving going. Yes. Darlene Love, Queen of Christmas. Um, I really, really like this cover a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. I think it maintains the feel of the original. Mm-hmm. And Brian Setzer, who's a great guitarist, even though I make fun of him a lot, um, really just kind of amps it up just that, just a little bit. So you get the, the best of what she can do and the best of what he can do mm-hmm. to, to create a really good, uh, I don't want to use the word synergy, but that's, that's kind of what's coming to mind. So that you get a cover that is fresh and new, yeah, but still doesn't feel corny or overworn. Yeah. I mean, as uh, nostalgic and sort of throwbacky as, as the music already is, there's something about it that makes it feel more modern, like a, a good way of modernizing that song. Mm-hmm. And it still feels like fresh and relevant and entertaining today. Like yeah. I, I love it when I hear songs like, like takes like this, mm-hmm. either on like Christmas radio or just in movies like this. It's, it's so, it's so refreshing to hear this, when all you get all you get thrown at every Christmas is t- Taylor Swift sleepwalking her way through another Christmas song. Yeah. Like they're these, these they're energetic. They're supposed to be. They're supposed to be like fun and lively and make you want to have throw a party, you know? Yeah. And that's what this song does. Yeah, this is definitely like a good cocktail party 
version. Totally. Yeah. So we we are we're here for it. Mm-hmm. And so. um, th- this one paired and then paired with uh, the other, uh, I guess, Christmas standard Jingle Bells. We'll talk about Jingle Bells in a bit, but just those two together, I think. They, they make the album, basically. Everything else is kind of incidental. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm going to disagree because I've got I've got a different choice, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. No, I know exactly what you're going to say. So I, oh, will, hell yeah. I will put a hold on that comment. <laughs> so this is where we get our introduction of uh, Sinbad as Myron, the uh, mail delivery guy. Uh, Ian wanted to point out that he is not wearing a U.S. Postal Service patch. Yeah, I saw that. So he's like a renegade postal worker. Oh God! So it's um, just generic mail delivery service. Yeah, which probably means he's a stripper. Ooh. I like to think that he's like he got fired as a stripper, and that he just has to wear like his stripper costume because he's broke. <laughs> because it's the only thing keeping him warm. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> see, we again we're writing such a better movie. Um, was that the only one that like got uh, got a voted for Trump vibe off Myron? Yeah, Myron seems like the kind of guy who not maybe no maybe doesn't drink the Kool Aid, but he doesn't realize that he's being like snookered, you know? Yeah, because he's he's like yelling and screaming about like how his wife slept with everybody, and it, he's just angry all the time, and he tries to strangle a woman in line. Like I can't imagine why your wife left you. You seem like a perfectly stable person. We are being set up by rich and powerful toy cartels. Oh, come now on. Now you got these big fat cats sit there using working class just like me and you. They spend billions of dollars on TV advertisement, and then they sit there and use subliminal messages to suck your children's minds out. And I know what I'm talking about because I went to junior college for a semester and I studied psychology, so I'm right in there. I know what's going on. But he has a, a perfectly valid sort of reason for going on this, you know, this uh, mission. Because later in the film, he talks about how, you know, the one the one Christmas toy that he wanted when he was a child, uh, he didn't get. But his next door neighbor did get one. And his next door neighbor went on to be a billionaire. So Myron feels kind of left behind. And uh, maybe it's because of the Christmas present. Maybe it wasn't. But I think it's probably like his weird temper and self-absorbedness. But that's just me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so they get into this toy store. It's weird seeing that the toy store opens at nine. Because it's like, wow, stores you said not open at six o'clock in the morning. That's so weird. Remember when stores weren't open 24-7? It's also weird to see like so many standalone toy stores. Yeah. And in, 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 I mean, Minneapolis is a big city. So I, I maybe, but like there was a time when we had, you know, uh, 20 different department stores and 10 different independent toy stores in, in the world and not just Walmart and Target. And also you shop online now. That being said, I've been to the Target in Minneapolis and it is quite delightful. Really? Yes. I love Minneapolis. Minneapolis is a great city. It mm-hmm. is wonderful. And you can get tater tots everywhere. Ooh, nice. Oh. I've only driven through Minneapolis. Oh, Minneapolis is, it's a little piece of heaven. I do, I want to note that uh, our friend Chris Parnell, who we last saw in Down With Love, is back in an early role as yeah. the clerk who laughs in Arnold's face. Yeah, and this is like it, it's it's a, a role that I always associate Chris Parnell with. Like when I hear his name, this is one that I think of for some reason <laughs> because he's just so smarmy and and gross that you, you you remember him. Yeah, I mean, I always think of him in Down with Love, but um, well, yeah, of course. 
But uh, it's nice that on Christmas Eve, when tensions are running high, that all of Minneapolis can come together to laugh at Sinbad and Arnold. <laughs> I mean, you have to enjoy the small things in life. Yeah, exactly. I feel like he, we're all united. And also, it's like these two these two guys are idiots. Let's all laugh at them. Okay, but what are you people doing here? Yeah, exactly. Like, throw some fucking stones at me. <laughs> Just picking up their last minute things. I'm a notorious kind of last minute shopper. I'm, I, mm-hmm. Christmas comes the same time every year. Yeah. And yet I'm always just like, oh shoot, Christmas is in two weeks. I guess I better buy people presents. God damn it. That's kind of how I am, I am too, but it's more like I've done this enough now that I can, I can just kind of nail it and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But this year was different because my girlfriend is very paranoid about that stuff and we're already done. And now I'm like, well, what the hell do I do now? Yeah. What do with my December? I don't know. Touch jingle all the way, apparently. My Christmas is already over. <laughs> Although we uh we just put up our tree and it looks great. Oh nice. So actually, um so talk to me, Ben, because obviously, you know, this is the big toy. Um, what was your best Christmas present you ever got? Mm. Did you ever get one of the big toys? I did. I did get one of the big toys. I think it was either this year or the year after that. Uh, was when the big toy was a Power Rangers thing mm-hmm. uh, to tie in with you know this thing. It was like the the White Rangers uh, like tiger you know robot thing. Booster, uh, his faithful companion. Uh, no, not not so not so much <laughs> like a faithful companion, but like the you know like the giant robots they would ride around in. Yeah, his looked like a giant like a white tiger, and I had that one. And my grandma like stood in line at a Kmart at midnight to get one of those for me nice and it gets it's still sitting on a mantle at home because that was like a a, a that's a fucking war prize now that delights me <laughs> yeah libby uh what was your what was your favorite uh christmas gift did you have something like that like a like one of the hot ticket items uh oh i've had two one of them wasn't like a stand in line kind of thing and when i was uh i think eight i got the uh samantha american girl mm-hmm. which was the gucci handbag of the eight to 10 year old set. Right. Uh, so that was, that was a very big one. I still have her. Uh, nice. the, uh, yeah, I'm not parting <laughs> with that. Um, I think the, the, like the big one that I got, the like stand in line was uh, when my mom bought me Chrono Trigger for my Super Nintendo. Ooh. And she actually, yeah. it was the last copy was a display copy. And she bought it at Media Play in Albany, which is now defunct. And she's like, I just, I have to have that for my daughter. And they sold her the display copy. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And I still have it. Um, and I still, I don't play that cartridge anymore because their Super Nintendo uh, doesn't work. Uh, oh, that's a although, yeah, I mean, you could probably, you could still pick one up. Um, somehow, I'm not going to say how. But things happen and you get the mini Super Nintendo and you lend it to somebody that you know and it comes back and it's got Chrono Trigger on it. And things happen. Um, so I actually did just replay Chrono Trigger. I played it on uh, Steam with the additional levels. Um, I'm currently playing the unofficial sequel. Um, which, uh, what is Flames of Eternity, I think. I love Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger is my absolute favorite game. And that was, I still remember opening that up and how good that felt that I finally had it. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of that, one of my uh, worst Christmas experiences ever, uh, the Christmas that Batman Forever came out, and I, I got the Batman Forever uh, Super Nintendo game for Christmas, Ooh. which I was actually... I was actually asking for. I wanted it, and then I got it, and then I played it, and it's the worst thing I've ever played. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Uh, I had, I you know, had to have the full uh, Batman Forever experience, and man, that one burned me. Yikes! Um, so yeah, Howard strikes out at the toy store, and the next thing we hear is uh, maybe the most famous of like modern Christmas songs. It's the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. As, as Howard uh, strikes out all over town, going to different toy stores, and every one of them telling him there's no Turbo Mans, and also they're all laughing in his face. Yeah. Um, again, this song is, it's so beautiful, and it's so great. It's also on every single Christmas soundtrack ever. It is, like, to, to the point where I don't know that we even have to play a clip, because you mm-hmm. know this song. Yeah. Although, I feel like somewhere there's a cover on a Pokemon Christmas album of Team Rocket doing this? You're gonna, you see, you just said a bunch of random words to make me Google that. You're, this is, this is a wild goose chase you're sending me on. Yeah, it's, I could send you to get a Turbo Man, but seeing as how Turbo Man isn't real. Uh, Pokemon Christmas Bash is the album. Here, uh, there's the Christmas song. Let's play a clip of that instead, why not? Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow. We'll find it hard to sleep tonight. (laughs) I hate you, Libby. (laughs) Fuck you, I love this. I The guy that voiced James uh, in the early days is a singer named Eric Stewart, mm-hmm. who I used to go see quite frequently. At one point, I think his drummer gave me a ride back to the train station one time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a little bit of an Eric Stewart uh, fangirl there. So That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm looking at Pokemon Christmas Bash. There are, let's see here. There's the Christmas song. There's there's Must Be Santa. There's The Night Before Christmas. There's a song called I'm Giving Santa a Pikachu for Christmas. <laughs> I hate that I'm going to have to take this over to Christmas Creeps and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, have me on. <laughs> have me back to we, talk about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, the, I mean, but who doesn't love the Christmas song, really? Yeah, it's always good, whether it's done by Nat King Cole or Team Rocket or your local show choir, it's kind of impossible to mess up. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, was, I was even reading about the original, like the Nat King Cole version, the string section in, this, in the version that, Ed, that you've, you've all heard, apparently the recording studio, the agents hated that, hated the, the, <sighs> the whole string section. Like, why would you include it? But he insisted. And I'm yeah, so well, glad he did, because that's like the, the, the cherry on top of the whole thing. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. No, um, and if that's one of those songs, yeah, that really just kind of makes Christmas. Mm-hmm. When you hear it, you're like, okay, and not a cover, not you know, just finally hearing the original feels good. Yeah, I don't want to hear Garth Brooks doing it. I don't want to hear Taylor Swift doing it. I just want to hear Nat King Cole. 
or Team Rocket, as we've decided. I just want to hear Nat King Cole. <laughs> Anywho, at this point in the film, Howard calls home to check in and see what's going on. And who answers the phone but Ted? Ted. And Ted is in Howard's house, in his kitchen, baking cookies with his wife. Well, his wife's in the shower. His wife's in the shower. He's uh, uh, Ted's eating her cookies. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I like to think that Phil Hartman is an angel that watches over all of us. <laughs> He's listening to this podcast right now going, they get it. They get it. But uh, Forever in our hearts, man. then Arnold says, you know, he, Arnold delivers one of the, the great lines of this movie. Howard, excuse me, but your wife's cookies are out of this world. What a... Who told you you can eat my cookies? I'm just helping Liz out a little in the kitchen. She's making up a storm here. Put that cookie down! Now! (laughs) But yeah, so then moving on, we go to the Mall of America, the largest mall in America. So here we get Brian Setzer doing Jingle Bells. And let's just go to a clip because I, I need you all to hear this. Jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a big seven Chevrolet. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow in a one horse open sleigh. This also got the video. Yes. Yeah. So where his suit changes from red to green and there's some uh, some scenes from the movie mm-hmm. and a bunch of Santa's playing horns. And the uh, story of the video is that, you know, little Brian Setzer asks Santa for a guitar for Christmas. Yes. And that's kind of sweet. And Turbo Man is also in the video. Um, of course. This one to me is too goofy. It's too much. It's because he changes one horse open sleigh to 57 Chevrolet. Dude, mm-hmm. it's 1996. Stop. Yeah, it. just don't. Why? And the thing that I hate about this song, <laughs> he only sings the first verse of Jingle Bells. Yeah, like four times. Yeah, like four times. But he never gets into the second verse, which I think if he had, you know, the, the second verse of Jingle Bells, Day or two ago, I thought I'd take a ride, and soon Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. The horse was lean and lank. Misfortune seemed his lot. We got into a drifted bank, and then we got upsot. So changing the lyric to uh, 57 Chevrolet, that turns this song into a song about a car crash. (laughs) Well, he does sing One Horse Open Sleigh in the, like, the second time he sings it. Right, because you kind of have to. It's Yeah. But I just like the idea that um, so far we've had two Brian Setzer songs on the soundtrack, uh, Sleigh Ride and um, Jingle Bells, where base, it's it's basically like the souped up sports car version of Christmas songs. <laughs> yes. And this one is just, it's so, so, so corny. And again, we have not yet hit the swing revival. It would be another two years before the Brian Setzer Orchestra's Dirty Boogie comes out, we hear his cover of Jump, Jive, and Whale that's on the Gap commercials. We start to see, um, you know, the the Cherry Pop and Daddies take hold with Zoot Suit Riot. Um, Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but 1996 was the year we got Swingers as well. 
I believe that's correct. Yeah. Yes. And so we're starting to get that, that thread of what will become the Neo Swing revival. Uh, and of course, Brian Setzer was at the forefront of that. Um, so in, in 1996, Brian Setzer did have an album called uh, Guitar Slinger. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously he's been on the scene forever uh, with Stray Cats. The Brian Setzer Orchestra formed in 1990, but he wouldn't really get the kind of traction that he's known for for another two years. So like the mask, we're, we're seeing the threads starting early, but it, it takes a while for Neo Swing to sort of get hold in the American consciousness. Right. And I think it's interesting that like he was laying the groundwork for that kind of under our noses in the uh, in the guise of a Christmas album. Yeah. And so. it, it, it makes sense and it works here. It's just it's too niche and too kitschy to be like a, a big hit. Well, and they they don't they don't go all in with it. Right. That they just have a few songs. But rather than letting him take the whole soundtrack and creating, you know, like he would in 2002 with his Christmas album. Sure, There's yeah. no reason that they shouldn't have just given it to him right here. He's, a, he's an established musician. Yeah, he could have scored the entire album. Mm-hmm. And it would have at least had a, a theme. It would have held together a little more cohesively than, now that's what I call Christmas 1996, plus some Brian Setzer songs. Right, and it would, it would have maybe helped the film be a little more coherent too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's debatable, but <laughs> at, at least the soundtrack would have been more coherent, right? And it would have exactly. set it apart from your other kind of standard Christmas soundtrack, right? And and because like the one of the things that I hate about like Christmas movies nowadays is that like okay, a good example of this is the uh, the Grinch cartoon that came out a couple of years ago. There's like which was a total waste of my boyfriend Benedict Cumberbatch. Fair. Why have Benedict Cumberbatch if you're not going to show his beautiful face? I have no idea. Really? Why have Benedict Cumberbatch if you're going to make him do a stupid voice that hides the fact that it's Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, exactly. But um, that's, that movie has like 50 Christmas songs and it plays like three seconds of each one of them. And oh, I, I don't understand. Like, like okay, I'm going to, okay, here's- It clips the movie. It, yeah, I'm going to go on a tear about this movie for a second. Uh, so The Grinch was produced in part by uh, Pharrell Williams. Like he produced like the- the soundtrack album he produced the music he narrated the movie he didn't do any of the music himself he didn't sing any of the songs i think he sang one song but uh it, like they instead decide to like okay we'll license christmas and hollis but we'll play like five seconds of it and then discard it completely and they do that the entire movie and i don't get it <laughs> it's extremely stressful it's extremely extremely stressful and it's just it makes it feel so disposable so I, I think when I, I kind of appreciate having a bunch of Brian Setzer on this soundtrack because it gives it more of an identity. And I just mm-hmm. wish we'd gotten more of it. Yeah, and like, I, I don't have to necessarily love it. No. But at least it would have, like you said, formed that identity. It would have set it apart. Right. And 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 not just sort of relied on uh, a handful of the classics and just thrown in a couple of songs for the uh the soundtrack or, or to, to boost record sales because mm-hmm. obviously that didn't work. Yeah. So um, at this point in the film, um, Myron is trying to team up with Arnold and all I could think was, wait a second, this is the last Boy Scout, isn't it? 
This is just the last Boy Scout for babies. <laughs> babies last boy, babies first last Boy Scout. Yes. So. Kind of, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we're still trying to do that that lethal weapon, you know, white action star, black comedian mm-hmm. sort of pairing. Well, one's an upper class guy who plays by the rules. One's a middle class guy who's a loose cannon. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. That was what we did in the 90s. Yep, pretty much every week was a movie <laughs> about that. Uh, but for more thoughts on The Last Boy Scout, uh, join us on the last episode of Christmas Creeps where Libby uh, yelled at us for an hour and a half about why we made her watch The Last Boy Scout. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's a good time. It was a, a great time was had by all. <laughs> Except for when we had to watch The Last Boy Scout. Well, you know. Nobody you liked know. that. <laughs> no so we're so, at the mall of america which have you have you ever been to the mall of america i have not i've seen it from an airplane before oh i have been uh my friends jake and ann took me it is one of my favorite experiences my friend matthew and i were in minneapolis for awp and uh jake and ann lived in duluth they drove down to meet us and ann wanted to go shopping at the mall of america so jake met us at the conference and then we met them and I remember being very overwhelmed. I think Matthew took his Xanax. Like he just couldn't take it. It stressed him out too much. Um, But when when was this? This was 2013, I think. Okay. Okay. Yes. It was a while ago. But um, while we were there, we were looking at the giant, like, you know, board. We were looking for someplace to eat. And I remember Anne who's so sweet and Jake is so sweet and they're so Midwestern and she's like oh you know we should take them someplace nice you know someplace like the Ruby Tuesdays oh their food is so good (laughs) (laughs) it's just so I was so touched by that gesture (laughs) so it was just oh she's so cute we ended up going to like a townhouse grill or something and I think Matthew and I split like a giant piece of prime rib it was great Mm. and they were so sweet but uh there's a scene in this where he's running through the Lego store. I have been to the Lego store and I bought a little uh, Lego artist man that I brought home for my husband. Oh, nice. Yeah, he sits on our uh, curio shelf, which our cats knocked over the other day. Uh, yeah, I love cats. Yep. So here at the Mall of America, uh, there is a melee that breaks out over bouncy balls with numbers, which is how they're going to, I guess, lottery out the remaining Turbo Man dolls. Which they should note have doubled in price due to supply yeah. and demand. Yes. Which I'm assuming doubled in price means like for a doll like that, what, $50? Something like that. Probably. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a big doll too. It's got to yeah. be at least 18 inches, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's it's much bigger than the, the sort of 12 inch G.I. Joe. Um, but yeah, so during this this uh, fight over bouncy balls with numbers on them plays uh, Johnny Mathis's version of It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. For a nice piece of musical irony. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, which is always exhausting. Should we play a clip of this? Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. Wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer it's the most wonderful time of the year there you heard it you know what it sounds like Merry Christmas. Right. 
it's not the the version that everybody listens to all every year. I think the one people are more familiar with is the Andy Williams version. It was mm-hmm. that was the one that was on the Home Alone Two soundtrack. I think yes, yes. But uh, so, but we you know we're familiar with Johnny Mathis here on on the podcast. So it's 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 also you know it's a fine version. Yeah, I don't hate it. It's acceptable. It is acceptable. But uh, this is this is the part of the film where Arnold. Uh, runs around the mall chasing a bouncy ball and then chasing a little girl who has found the bouncy ball <laughs> through a play place. Yes. Um, wow. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's also, I don't know about you, and I think this is just, you know, as we as near the end of 2020 and it's been so stressful and so dark. I was getting very stressed out, like seeing the crowds in this movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like it was making me panicky. Like it was 1996. They're not in your house. Like, but it's that automatic reaction. Mm-hmm. So, I and I hate that feeling. It makes me really mad. And I get really mad when I see people in bars in movies. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you be having fun? Movie that was filmed in 1994. <sighs> yeah, I I know what you mean though. But also, like, it's a situation in this movie that would could, would definitely just not exist. 10 years from from now like in in 2006 he would go to amazon and just buy a turbo man yeah next next day air it for you know a hundred dollars but he'd have it and it would the movie wouldn't exist yeah it's sort of whimsical in that way it's very much a product of its time and i think if anything that's what i keep coming back to about this film that's why i keep subjecting myself to it is because deep down i just plain miss 1996 i think (laughs) okay it's like my my prime childhood years and i just kind of i i miss the aesthetic i miss phil hartman i miss um i don't know something about 1996 that that feels very uh homey to me yeah okay arnold schwarzenegger and sinbad like i whatever who cares but uh, the 1996ness of it all i'm here for it yeah okay okay that makes sense. Yeah, actually, that's kind of sweet. Oh, thank you. Um, then the okay. Then I have to couch what I say next very carefully. Then the worst thing in the film happens until the next worst thing happens. <laughs> because next Howard meets a uh, a black market Santa Claus and his elf who take him to a warehouse to buy a black market Turbo Man, which I kind of love and. This scene is weirdly like my favorite. Um, he's, as they drive to this warehouse, um, he's whistling the little boy that Santa Claus forgot. Mm-hmm. Which is the centerpiece of a documentary called Jingle Bells Rock, which is okay. all about alternative Christmas songs. Ooh, I'm gonna have It's to really up. good. It's on Hulu. I highly recommend it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, it is a, an absolutely delightful documentary. Okay. And um, I'm always fascinated by uh, any sort of music collector documentary. So something like Bathtubs over Broadway. Um, I love stuff like that. Okay, yeah, that's that sounds right up my alley, actually. Yeah, you, I, you would really, really dig Jingle Bells Rock. But it, it's interesting that he whistles that in that scene because, like I said, I, I watched the um, the extended cut of this movie, which really is only like six minutes longer than the already very short movie. 
Mm-hmm. But in the extended version, there is an entire musical number in this warehouse where Jim Belushi and a bunch of other Santas actually sing the little boy that Santa Claus forgot. Oh. And it's not bad, you know? If you ever wanted to hear Jim Belushi sing, and this is your chance. All right. Well, well let's put that, put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I, I kind of like the idea because they're all in Santa suits. And they run this whole black market operation. Mm-hmm. And now I've never seen Bad Santa because my parents love me and I don't have to watch angry Santa movies. Um, I feel very attacked by that. <laughs> um, but I would love to see a Santa mall caper. Ooh. Because I think it's I think it's a great idea. Um this scene probably inspired Bad Santa. It, yeah, I, I, I would say that's probably. Which is sad. Funny. That's the saddest thing I've ever said. Um, but while they are playing it, uh, or as, as the scene goes on, we hear Clarence Carter's backdoor Santa. Let's play a clip. Oh, yes. Let's play an extended clip. You have to hear the song. I make my runs about to break a day. Isn't it great? I'm going to break this down for you. Uh, he doesn't mean being Santa Claus. He's... Yes, I yes I gathered that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now the question is, when he says backdoor Santa, is he referring to the actual backdoor of a home? Mm-hmm. Or, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Yeah, but I love this. Because it's so filthy. It's so filthy. And this is a children's movie. It is a children's movie about a little kid who just wants an action figure. There's no swearing in it. And they've got this song that is at best about sleeping with all the women in the neighborhood. At its dirtiest is about butt sex. With all the women in the neighborhood. And it is just in the middle of this children's film. I know. That's amazing. And and the thing is like, they play just enough of it that you only registered like the music, but then it's also in, it smack in the middle of the soundtrack album. Yeah, Bad Santa could never. I mean, hell, there's entire, in, entire sequences in Bad Santa that are explicitly about this. Yeah, but, but it's just like, ooh, look, it's unrated. Like, yeah, yeah but they slipped it into a children's film. Mm-hmm. You can unrate shit all you want, but when you could slip something like this into a children's film, that's subversive. That's yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> respect. Respect. Much respect. Um, a fight that, uh, scene with all the Santas break out, and then Arnold impersonates a cop. Yep, that's a felony. Yeah. Of all the things in this film that are definitely crimes, that's a felony. <laughs> yeah. So I. Um, and one point he says something like, it's like Taurus at a tea party. Like, what the fuck does that mean? That's, I've never heard that expression before. And I've never heard it since. It's like made up for this. 
I have been working on this case for the last three years. And you guys come barging in here like a bunch of terrorists at a tea party. Wait! Till the commissioner finds out about this, he is going to hit the roof. Now get your act together and arrest someone. Go! Yes, sir! Oh, God. Now, I think we missed we missed a song in here, I believe, unless they moved it around again on me. Um, are you talking about uh, Lou Reed's It's Christmas Time Again? Uh, Lou Rawls. Lou Rawls, sorry. Lou Rawls, so they say it's Christmas. Okay. Which I, which I think, in the version that I watched, is the song that's playing as they're driving to the warehouse. Um, no, I have it as they're going to the Mall of America. Wherever we is, let's, wherever <laughs> it is, let's hear a clip of, uh, of Lou Rawls there. Let's do that. So they say it's Christmas time again The calendar says December but it's wrong Cause Christmas is the time When lovers pray divine And people are meeting and two hearts are meeting It's so chill. We need to come down from backdoor Santa. Now, this is another one that was uh, sort of produced and backed by uh, the Brian Setzer Orchestra, at least on the soundtrack it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's just something about it that's very relaxing. Yeah, it's very smooth. It's very chill. I love his voice. Yeah. Love this one is, this, this one kind of, I think, gets lost in the rest of the soundtrack, which mm-hmm. is too bad because it's really lovely. Yeah, I mean, I mean to the point where uh, you and I watched different cuts of the film and they completely moved all these songs around on us. So that's making things a little bit difficult. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the Lou Rawls song is what, what more can we say about it other than it's just like, this is the kind of song you want to mix a drink to and just sit by the fire. Yes. This is the kind of Christmas that unfortunately I think we're all going to end up having, you know, just kind of solitary, but mm-hmm. this is a way to enjoy it. Yes, definitely. So, Throwing in some different Christmas songs into your holiday mix, some more chill Christmas songs. I think we could all stand to do that. This yes, year. since we're not having the big parties. Yeah. This is chill Christmas. Yeah, our my husband and I's Christmas tradition um, the last couple of years, because we do so much, uh, both our parents are divorced, so we end up with like four families. Oh, you get to play out four Christmases. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> so we sort of divide all of those. Plus, I have uh, my church. I my committee is in charge of Christmas Eve services. Obviously, there aren't any this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are really going to get to indulge in our favorite Christmas tradition, which is eating for the entire day, um, and watching Christmas movies. Nice. And so we're starting to plan this year's marathon. Uh, we usually just sleep in, get up, drink coffee, uh, open gifts. I will usually play with one of my gifts because Ian usually gets me like a record. Uh, sometimes it's one that he hates. So then he's got to sit there and listen to Morph the Cat. Um, <laughs> and then we make a really indulgent breakfast. And then there's at some point there's a cheese course. And at some point, there's Santa and the ice cream bunny. That sounds like an amazing Christmas. It is an amazing Christmas. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're we're rocking and rolling through this soundtrack here, and it it's about to come to an end very quickly because the the music on the album only plays through like the first half of the film. Yes, and then it just drops off completely. It just stops. <laughs> 
So the next song uh, after the big fight at the warehouse, Howard goes back to his car and it's run out of gas. So he has to push it uh, down the street to a local diner. As he does so, uh, we hear the dulcet tones of Frank Sinatra as we hear, I'll be home for Christmas. Ah, uh, yes. Again, a classic, not on the soundtrack, nope. uh, but, but playing in the movie. Mm-hmm. What more can we say? Yeah, and it's, you know, we don't have to play this for you because you're already humming it in your head. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Everybody loves it. Yeah. And, and it's cocktail Christmas. Exactly. And I kind of actually, I kind of appreciate that some of the older, these like sort of 40s standard kind of songs are on the soundtrack because it breaks up a lot of the Brian Setzer sort of wacky rockabilliness of it all. Yes, but again, it doesn't make the soundtrack stand out. I I know, and that's sort of that's the rub with the whole album. Like, I like that they're here, but they probably shouldn't be. Yeah, because at some point you get very tired of hearing like this year's artist singing a standard. Yeah, it's just like, oh, okay, here's Adele singing "I'll Be Home for Christmas." Here, it's Mm -hmm. just after a while you're just like, can you just write a new song, maybe? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we. You, you know and love Frank Sinatra, uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Who doesn't? It's, it's, it is what it is. But then at the diner, Howard has a drink, commiserates with Byron, who show, or Myron, rather, who shows back up again to make peace, quote unquote. And in the background of this scene, we get another song from the album. It's uh, Merry Christmas, Baby by Charles Brown. Now, here's one that I do want to I do want to play a clip of because yeah. it's, it's a pretty good one. Should you treat me nice? Merry Christmas, baby. You should did treat me nice. Give me All right, so talk to me about this one. I don't know that I have anything to say about this one other than it's just very smooth and just like uh, the Lou Rawls one. It's just I love the. I don't know. I, I like the nostalgic sort of uh, coolness of it all. Yeah. In a way that's not necessarily like the, the Brian sets of rockabilly, but more just more jazzier and more laid back. And it seems so out of place. It does, doesn't I it? I love it, but it just seems I this soundtrack is so confusing because again, the, the Brian Setzer stuff firmly cements it in nineteen ninety-six, but they mm-hmm. don't embrace that and they keep trying to throw back to like this classic Christmas. You know what it kind of reminds me of? The, the Back to the Future soundtrack, how there's like a couple of songs on either end from like modern artists playing modern songs in like the 80s, but then the middle whole middle section of that album is just 50s tunes. But at least that takes place in the 50s. Like this is right, still well, 1996. Well, that's the thing. There's like a good reason for it to be that way. Here it's just, it's almost like they just gave up. Yeah, it's a, it seems lazy. Yeah. So like, like they just uh, like Brian Setzer didn't have five more songs in him. And he just said, well, just put whatever you think is appropriate. Yeah. On now in this scene, Sinbad, of course, tells his sad story about how he didn't get something for Christmas. And now I guess has a union job. Yeah. I think it's the sad moral of this story. Right. And it's, it's odd that uh, the mailman is, is a mailman because he didn't get a toy gun for Christmas. And I'm sure there was like a mailman with a gun joke in there somewhere, but it doesn't really connect that way. Yeah, it's it's sort of like 
really? You're still whining about that all these years later? Right, yeah. Get over it, man. You know, I didn't get the Anastasia doll I wanted. And I still grew up to be a perfectly normal human being. And then we, we get that great moment where um, Howard imagines his kid <laughs> downing a <laughs> bottle of, of uh, scotch or whatever that is. <laughs> in in Myron's like mail out for outfit, just going, here's to you, dad. And he downs a whole thing of hooch. That's <laughs> adorable. So hey, the very last song on the soundtrack that we have to talk about is the very last like beat is that Howard and Myron race to the radio station because there's a contest to win a turbo man. The contest is can you name all of Santa's reindeer? And of course, Howard knows it by heart, uh, but he has to run to the radio station as Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms plays. Yep. It's, again, we don't have to play it. We don't have to play it. You know it. You love it. Yeah. Um, and another kind of lazy standard in a, an increasingly lazy film. Exactly. Um, I do like that they show off the Skyway. Yeah. So, because uh, if you've ever been to Minneapolis, the skyways are delightful. They're so wonderful when it is cold. And also they're so iconic that the replacements wrote a song about them. <laughs> Called Skyway. It's I'm pleased to meet me. It's great. It's yeah. one of Mike Nelson's favorites. Oh, nice. Yeah, one of, one of my other childhood favorites was The Mighty Ducks, which also takes place in Minneapolis and also features lots of skyways. Yeah, the skyways are the best you don't ever have to touch the streets Mm -mm. and yeah who would want to on on a a winter's day like that yeah good lord that's the thing that always cracks me up is it's supposed to be taking place in december in minneapolis and i was in minneapolis in april and i was still wearing gloves they're just like running around with their coats open and no gloves like are you insane yeah i don't believe that for me it must have been like a a, a heat wave or something yeah because uh my friend jake once wrote me a letter and it opened with I can't leave my house because it's 50 degrees below zero and there is a state emergency. And even if I wanted to leave, my car wouldn't start. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't even imagine what 50 below feels like. Mm-mm. No. So. And mind you, this, t- this movie takes place on Christmas Eve. So if it's going to be, you know, cold, it would definitely be this, this day. Yes. It would be Christmas Eve. Like Howard's car wouldn't start. <laughs> That, that that starts and ends the film right there yeah <laughs> so, so, yeah at the end but um that's the that's the last song that i have notes for on the soundtrack because everything else is just score until the end of the film yes well uh there is a sequence where uh myron threatens to blow up the cops with a mail bomb which turns out to be a mail bomb but it just blows up and they all live and it's like, yeah, ah, 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 that did not age well. It did not age well at all. It's a Looney Tunes gag in a film that is like otherwise very realistic. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, a gag you can only get away with pre 9-11. But yeah, yes, that's true. So um, Ted tries to put the moves on uh, Rita Wilson, whose name I'm blanking on right now. Liz, Liz. Liz. And... At one point, uh, Arnold tries to accidentally burn down Ted's house with the help of a reindeer. Mm-hmm. I sort of got lost at this point. It's Howard's lowest point where he can't get the Turbo Man, and he's basically given up, and he almost resorts to like breaking into Ted's house and stealing from a child. 
and everyone hates him for it. And he punches out a reindeer, and they all go to the Christmas parade without him. Uh, okay. Yeah. Now, um, this Christmas parade is weird and delightful because among the uh, inhabitants of it are Sonic the Hedgehog and the Tick, and what is either Barbie or Angeline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the bright pink Corvette with the Barbie license plate. Yeah. I don't know, man. But yeah, you, I, like, I would I would bet that Angeline was offered that role. That's a pretty that's a that's pretty a, an extremely Angeline part. <laughs> but yeah, like in this Christmas parade, you've got uh 90s staples like Ninja Turtles and the Tick and uh Paddington Bear and Madeline? Madeline and Rock'em Suck'em Robots and uh Jamie and his his uh friend high five when they see the cat in the hat which I think is adorable. Yeah, they're just, like so fucking stoked about the cat in the hat. And it's pre-Mike Myers cat in the hat. So we're all stoked too. Fuck yeah, I just love me some goddamn cat in the hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so fucking jacked up on cat in the hat. <laughs> <laughs> and Howard running, okay, the, the running gag in the film that honestly I don't care for is Howard running away from the same police officer. Mm-hmm. And he again runs away from him into a warehouse and in, into a building where he's thrust into the role of turbo man at the end of the parade yes also it the turbo man has like actual working jetpacks which doesn't seem like something they would give a temp yeah no and but it makes me wonder like so okay the the final set piece of the film is that myron uh takes over for the dementor the villain role to try and get his hands on the special Turbo Man that Arnold gets to give away to one special kid. Gee, I wonder which kid he's going to pick. <laughs> and, you know, so he gives it to his son and then Myron tries to chase his son away and they go up to like the top of the building and they're both in danger and Turbo Man's jetpack is real and yeah. he's flying around the city. And it's at this point that I start to wonder, what was the original choreography for that scene that, necessi- that necessitated Turbo Man have a real working jetpack? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I know he was supposed to like fight Demento, but I don't think yeah. the jetpacks were that necessary. And of course, this battle is foreshadowed in the video that Jamie is watching mm-hmm, at the beginning yeah. of the film. It's the exact same sort of uh, setup. Exactly, exactly. But it also, we've taken a film about a man trying to get essentially a doll. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. And it's suddenly a Marvel movie. Yeah. And a postman has kidnapped a child and is threatening to kill him. Yes. This movie gets real weird really quick. It's it a real tone shift. And up until this point, this has been a movie that's kind of sort of about like how awful like the Christmas rush to buy presents for children is and like the it's it just walks right up to the line of saying capitalism is bad but doesn't quite go overboard yeah and then at the very end they don't know what uh like message or moral they can draw from any of this so they just have Arnold play a superhero yeah although the only thing I could think of during this this whole thing is a line from oh hello on Broadway Okay. Uh, where uh, Gil Faison, played by the wonderful Nick Kroll, 
uh, they're about to put him up in a harness and he refuses because he says, no, I saw too many productions of Spider-Man turn off the dark where the guy died. <laughs> yeah. That's all yeah. I can think of when they put this actor, I mean, they, they don't realize, is it the actor playing Turbo Man? They're just like, you get in here and put on these real rockets. Yeah. Right. And a real working boomerang. Like, and they keep talking about like, oh, Turbo Man's here. Like, you're adults. You know that Turbo Man isn't real, right? Yeah, the, the, the production people are, they're so invested in the idea of Turbo Man and the, 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 that elevating the idea that Turbo Man is a real person. Yeah, and then like the cop is like, Turbo Man, we could use someone like you on the force. Like, he's not real. No. It's the, a weird, like, a weird line that the adults in this film agree to cross. It, well, it's like everybody, it's kind of like, the. I mean, hey, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast with your children, you really shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But like, it's kind of the same sort of uh, kayfabe that parents play with Santa Claus and however that, you know, we, we all try to maintain the magic of Christmas um, with our child with children, but uh, everyone is kind of invested in this, this idea that Turbo Man is a real person. Yes, but like Santa Claus, we've all agreed on like a national scale and on an international scale. Well, then I but Turbo or, Man is is a chief cartoon, like a chief TV character. That'd be like getting really invested again, like in the Power Rangers. Like it's just it, it weirds me out that the cops are like, we could use someone like you on the force. Like that, it just it weirds me out because it takes the movie to a very strange place. It's like if you go to South Carolina, everybody down there just just swears up and down that Hootie of Hootie and the Bluefish is actually a real person. <laughs> oh, Hootie. <laughs> he is. Everyone knows that. Um, the two characters in this in this scene that's kind of break that kayfabe are like the, the TV anchors who are announcing the parade. <laughs> Where um, when the the villain Dementor comes out with his his henchman and he runs away with the kid and and the uh, the Turbo Man doll, uh, she says uh, like Oh no, this it looks like the end of human civilization as we know it." And she's like, "So, uh, there goes the neighborhood kind of." Vibe. Yeah, um, I don't know. This it's it it's, gets it's, weird. It's a lot. It it's gets lot. it just it, takes the movie to such a weird place that we mm-hmm. didn't agree to go to I, like backdoor santa <laughs> yeah we gotta ask for permission to do that shit right none of us signed up for this oh <laughs> uh, you want to hear though a funny story about um you know these sort of stage productions these superhero stage productions sure so in my first couple of years of working for the newspaper which some of you may have seen on twitter i'm leaving after more than a decade of, of working for this newspaper. I'm starting a new job in January. Congratulations, by Thank the way. Thank you. Thank you. But um, one of the people that I was sort of most pleased to interview was a man named Douglas Howard. And Douglas Howard had played the songster on the He-Man and She-Ra Masters of the Universe power tour. Oh, wow. And yeah, professional musician. He got this gig playing sort of the, yeah the bard of the he-man power tour holy crap that's, i know that's i'll post wild. a link to uh to what he looked like on like his trading card i don't know if he ever got an action figure 
but yeah, I got to meet someone who'd done power tour. I'd love to see a documentary on some of those things, like those big, like the coming out of our shells tour. Oh yeah. That they yeah. just made these, like these big musical tours, like with original songs and everything mm-hmm. out of these cartoons. Yeah, and like they did it for all the weirdest things too. Like, yeah, you you mentioned uh, Ninja Turtles, but like Mortal Kombat had one. No. Yeah. <gasps> like a musical. Yeah, like a, a track, <gasps> like stage production of Mortal Kombat, where it was just like a bunch of uh, martial artists doing martial art moves uh, to the Mortal Kombat theme. Okay, but like th- there weren't like original songs, like Sonya Blade didn't like stop and sing a beautiful ballad. Honestly, that would be the best thing in the world. But I'm I'm look I'm feverishly looking this up right now because I have to like get this right. Uh, yeah, because like the coming out of our shells tour, like there there were original songs. But you're just describing basically. The, okay, more, the Mortal Kombat live tour was a martial arts theatrical stage show featuring Mortal Kombat characters, lights, sound, and laser light effects on stage. The plot was based on three fighters rescuing their friends and retrieving a magic amulet from the evil master of Outworld, Shokan, in order to save the Earth. Okay, well, if it doesn't start William Zabka, then I don't care. The show debuted at Radio City Music Hall, Libby. <laughs> was William Zabka in it? Um... Let's see. No. Okay. So that's Jingle All the Way. And uh, the only thing we can say from here, you know, the kid gets the toy. He gives it away because the kid's a good person. Yeah, he gives it to the man who tried to kill him. Yeah, like, all right. So so what's the moral of this film? It suggests that Jamie was the one who had like a, a, who learned a lesson in this film, which definitely is not true. And even like, what is his lesson? Like that his dad, who most of the time sucks, like put on a costume and now he's a great dad. Like, I'm really not sure. Like you can impress your kids one day a year. Yeah, really. I'm not really sure what the moral is. Uh, The lesson we learned. Well, we only saw what Howard was doing all day, but as far as his wife and his kid are concerned, he was away from the house all day because he was always going to be Turbo Man. So as far as they're concerned, he is a great dad. Mm. And I'm willing to let him keep that fantasy. I don't care. (laughs) Okay. I just feel like he's going to fail like two weeks down the line and still get divorced and she's still going to end up with Ted. Um, Oh no, no. Ted smells like barf now. He's, he's, he's out. (laughs) Why? Cause she threw eggnog on him. Yeah. So, she doesn't want want nothing to do with Ted. She's the one mom in the entire neighborhood that doesn't want anything to do with Ted. Which is dumb because you can have Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you can have Phil Hartman. Uh, Phil Hartman's a cutie patootie. He's, I mean, he's fine. He's he's great, but uh, he at least pays attention. He's He's not a mattress salesman. Look, what we see in the film is that Ted wants what he can't have. He can't have Howard's wife. You know what? They should have used Backdoor Santa for Ted. <laughs> it should have been Ted's theme song. Oh, yeah, you're right. This movie makes so many bad choices with its soundtrack. I think that's the moral of this story is that yeah. they really blew it on the soundtrack. Like the pieces are all there. There's plenty of potential and they just blew all of it. Now there's one more song on the soundtrack though. We haven't there, talked it, about. Yeah, and it's it's Darlene Love is back again. And all I have to say is uh, the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> so this one again it's darling love and brian setzer let's let's play a clip mm-hmm. Then I saw a child who reminded me as the shoppers pushed and shoved, and a tiny baby who gave us all. But uh, this one is a little lightweight by comparison, because I feel like it it lacks like the Darlene Love and it lacks the Brian Setzer, like what makes them unique mm-hmm. as performers. And so you just end up with this kind of substandard. I th- and I think I know why too. Okay. This song was apparently written by Sammy Hagar. No. Yes. No. That's what Wikipedia is telling me. I'm not even mad. Which I realize is like uh, Wikipedia said it. That must be, it means it must be true. Um, but no, in the, the the list of credits, and it's you know attributed deep in the heart of Christmas. Writers Sammy Hagar and Jesse Harms, who yep was a uh, musician in Sammy Hagar's band. So I don't know. I honestly don't know how to feel about that. And I, I, I honestly have, a, I'm having a hard time verifying if this was originally a Sammy Hagar song or if they wrote it for Brian Setzer and Darlene Love. And the reason I can't find it is because whenever I type into Google deep in the heart of Christmas, I just get like a hundred different crappy country Western albums uh, called Deep in the Heart of Christmas, like Texas Christmas albums. Yikes. <laughs> no, this thank is, you. Like literally everybody in Texas has made this joke. <sighs> so that's why this song sounds so kind of straight down the middle, mediocre. It's fine. Like I, you know, I dislike it, but. You know who could kill this song? Who could? Michael Buble. Oh, this has Buble written all over it. Yeah, this is like the most Buble thing that has ever buble Sammy Hagar wrote the most Buble song ever. Oh, yeah. This is extremely Michael Buble. <laughs> oh, God. Tonight at Margaritaville, here's Michael Buble with Sammy Hagar and the Wabaritas. <laughs> I hate every sentence, of the, every word in that sentence so much that I love it. <laughs> That's the most like 1996 thing I've ever said. Yep. Oh, boy. Yep. Well, that's all we really have to say about Jingle All the Way. So the album itself is a lot like the movie in that it's a series of missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some good there's some good elements to it, but on the whole, I think we you know, we we said it. They they missed a chance to have a cohesive Brian Setzer you know soundtrack album. They missed a chance to do sort of the definitive like Christmas standard collection album. It's kind of neither one. And, and it just kind of winds up being an album basically. Yeah. It is an album to take up space on a shelf. And when all the other Christmas soundtracks have been purchased, you've got this one that's left. So you're trying to find uh, Mariah Carey's Christmas album and it's all sold out. But it's Christmas Eve, and you got to get something to put under the tree. So you can grab the soundtrack to Jingle all the way. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason I found this for a dollar at my local used bookstore. You way overpaid. I probably did. Um, so yeah, final thoughts on Jingle All the Way. Is there anything that we can say in its favor? It brought it brought backdoor Santa into my life. That's I'll take that one. And we we didn't even we didn't even mention you know that backdoor Santa is the the um, 
the original song that Christmas and Hollis uh, samples. That's right. So, you which know, they talk about in Jingle Bells Rock. Oh, nice. Okay. So yeah, I mean, two great Christmas songs for the price of one. Yes, all wrapped in a terrible movie at a mediocre soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's Jingle All the Way, everybody. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Congratulations. It's Jingle All the Way. <laughs> uh, so, hey, Libby, uh, it, it's still December uh, for our next episode. So, hey, what are we uh, doing next time? We're actually going to do a, a good movie this time. We're going to talk about uh, Scrooged, the Ooh. Bill Murray classic. Okay. So it's uh, our take on A Christmas Carol. We have a lot to choose from, but we decided that uh, Scrooge fits best because we want to talk about Annie Lennox. You know, that's as good a reason as any. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's, I'm, I'm particularly excited because it's one that we haven't done on Christmas Creeps yet. Yeah. So I'm getting you before anybody else does. Yeah. That's a, an OST party exclusive. Yes. You're like the last Turbo Man. <laughs> it's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> so joe where can our listeners find you uh y'all can find me on twitter at cordial wombat or you can find me on the christmas creeps podcast talking about christmas movies all year round at christmas creeps on twitter uh libby where can they find you you can find me on twitter at libby cudmore you can find me on instagram at record underscore saturday you can listen to me over on the shattered shield podcast we are going to talk about season six i promise you we're uh stacking those up right now or you can uh check me out on the christmas creeps podcast like we said uh talking about the last boy scout and uh christmas creeps by the way we have one more episode coming out in december and uh as is our christmas tradition it's not a christmas movie so you have that to look forward to oh boy it's a diehard movie anyway so (laughs) (laughs) for the ost party i'm joseph wade and i'm libby cudmore buy the ticket Take the ride. That's what they call me, back door Santa. That's what they call me. They call me back door Santa. That's what all the girls call me. I give them all the presents. That's what they call me. They call me back door Santa. And I like them to call me that. They call me back door Santa.